So uh, I have a couple of stories to tell you this week, and then if you have stories from your own giving, definitely want to hear those too. One of these happened to Nancy, and one of them happened to both of us. Nancy told me this one on the way in to, um, to church today. She and Annalise and Graceland recently had a girls' trip to Charleston, South Carolina. Nancy and Annalise drove from here, and Graceland joined them from Virginia, where she's going to college. And on the way, they stopped at a gas station and were approached by a homeless man who asked them for money. And Nancy's not in here because she's teaching the yellow puppies. And, <laughs> um, but we talk about the class, all that she hears more of this stuff than you guys do. And she said, so since we've been talking about this and doing all of this, so I didn't have any cash, so I borrowed some money from Annalise, and just, he came up and said money, and we said, sure, here you go. And Annalise just kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? And so she explained the whole thing, and they got their gas and whatever they got at the store, and um, the gentleman continued to talk to them because somebody had paid attention to him, and he, you know, he, and, and, and when... When you do those sorts of things, the money is great, but very often being seen is an even bigger difference. And so he started talking to them and talking and talking and talking. And, and so Nancy's trying to go, but he's talking because he's just, he's got somebody that pays attention to him. And he said, they call me preacher man because I prophesy. And Nancy's like, okay. And she's getting in the car, trying to leave. He knocks on the window, rolls it down, looks over at Annalise, points at her, and says, she's in college now. She's going to be a doctor. And then he said, what's she studying? Pre-med. So, story number one. Story number two. Nancy and I, because um, we're kind of empty nesters, even though Annalise is here for the summer, um, and so we go out to eat and just, you know, we can just drop everything and go, don't feel like heating up soup, let's go get barbecue. And so we go to Honey Fire Barbecue out in Bellevue for lunch on Thursday, Friday, I don't remember which day it was. Um, and we're looking at the menu and somebody comes up and starts talking to Nancy, says, I'm not cutting in front of you, I am the person paying for this group that has been ordering in front of you. And we said, we, you didn't even register with us. We've been so busy looking at the menu, we didn't even see you. <laughs> but he's very apologetic, and he's, you know, and he's talking to us, and so we kind of cut up the way you do with strangers in line. And, um, and he, he continues to, to really press. I'm, you know, I, I really wasn't cutting in line. I really am paying for this. It's like, look, if it makes you feel that bad, feel free to buy us lunch too. <laughs> and so he does. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, and, 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 and it's, a, it's a group of men all roughly our age, dressed like the guys in here, maybe a little bit nicer than me. And he, I mean, more, more like Mike than me. Um, you know, the collared button-down shirts, not the, you know. And so I'm figuring, okay, bunch of white guys my age at a barbecue place. These are probably churchgoers. So I say, you're going to get a kick out of this. I'm doing this class. And I start telling him about the class, and his eyes just light up. He's like, well, I'm, um, I attend, uh, we've all been at First Church Nashville over on Charlotte Pike, and we're taking a break. They've been doing, I, as near as I can figure, 
um, there was a big global leadership conference that um, one of the mega churches or religious groups was putting on this week, and it was a really big deal in person, but you could, churches could also sign up to do it online. And so I think they had been watching this event and had taken a break, and so they were going to get lunch. And, um, and, 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 and so he's asking me, well, where do you go to church? What's the, how does the class work? And so we, we talked for a little bit more about that. Um, you know, food comes, I go to my table, he goes to his table. Neither one of us tells each other our name. Don't say anything else. We just go to our tables and eat. And uh, so I look up at the, uh, when I get home, I look up the church and the guy's the lead pastor at First Church Nashville. <laughs> he goes, maybe, he says, he says, I bought you lunch, but you may have given me some really good ideas here. And, um, and I've had so many people say, I don't think that was a coincidence. And, and it, it's made me kind of think through that sort of thing. And I don't think it is a coincidence. And we've talked in this class about how doing this, for, for those of you who haven't, been in this class before, haven't been in this class every week, one of the things that we're asking people to do, and so now you're stuck with it for at least the week, um, is to set a certain amount of money and find a place to give it every day for the course of the class. And so if if you, have, if you have not been doing that every day, let me encourage you to, to do that every day for the rest of the class. If you are visiting and you're not coming back, Nick, do it this week and just watch and see what happens. Because what we have found, what several of us have found, is that when you do that, it starts opening up your eyes to seeing, seeing different opportunities and seeing people and seeing people in different ways. And this was one, I can, I can trace exactly what was going on that led to this coincidence-looking thing happening the way that it did. Because this guy comes out of this leadership conference where they're trying to talk about how to be Jesus in the world. And so he's kind of, he's, that's top of his mind. I've been doing this thing where I'm talking about money every week and trying to figure out places to give away money every day. And so I don't think anything anymore about going to buy our lunch. Um, and, and those two things, you know, Jesus was working in, in those two ways and brought those together and where, so something unexpected could happen, even though neither one of us said boo about Jesus the whole time. But he, he did the thing, and I was like, well, this is what I've been doing at church. Let me tell you about this, preacher. And then I go home, and I look him up, and there right on the website is, here's our lead pastor. I think I just bought me lunch. So, um, and so this is one of the reasons that I've been saying, make a point of doing this every day. Because for the first few weeks that you do it, it's, and, and those of you who have done this every day, you will identify with this, it's, it's really hard the first few weeks to find a different place to give every day. It's pretty easy for the first week, but after about three, it starts to get, I'm out of charities, I'm out of friends, I've given to all of the people that I care to give to on the street. It's not happening, and you've got to go looking for those. But the, 
the practice of looking for places to give starts attuning you to different things in the world around you. And when you do that, those opportunities start showing up. And those are the things that lead to a homeless guy pointing to your daughter in three med and going, she's going to be a doctor. So those are my stories. Anybody, um, anybody else have stories from this week, from their... Okay. Well, I've got, it, it was actually two, three weeks ago. I was going to share it, and then Tyler was right, and then I was not here last week. Uh, one of the things that uh, has uh, causes me uh, undue anxiety is often the impracticalities of being able to help someone who needs help in the moment that they approach it. And so, uh, several weeks ago, I was uh, I left work a little early, and my son has to picked up my daughter and here we go and we weren't going to have a lot of time I was just going to make it on time but alas the gas light on my van had been out has been on for several miles and so it was to the point where I'm not even price comparing I'm just stopping yeah. <laughs> literally the first one I passed which is close to our house and uh, it's one of those really extraordinary and it's the, it's the gas, if you're familiar with the exit there at uh, Nissan Stadium, there's that big tiger market there. Yep. It's, it's a magnet for, for And so, and it's just brutally hot, and I've got my daughter in the back, and my goal is to put my gas get out of there, because I don't want to be that parent who's late for his kid. So, uh, you know, I hadn't been out of the van probably five seconds until you know, it comes up. And I don't know what he said, but it was clear he wanted something. And so I kind of made it look like, you know, I'm kind of hurry here. And he said, yeah, I just want a sandwich. And at that point, if he's being genuine, you know, all he's asking you for is he's not, now maybe he's just wanting to give him money for the sandwich. I don't know. Uh, but I have to have my daughter in the back. I can't, it's not having to run in. So I'm either taking too much time Get, having to get my child out of the car to go in and get this guy a sandwich, or you know, I'm I'm giving the appearance of insensitivity yeah. to this person who's clearly has the. You're, yeah, you're acting out the wrong part of the Good Samaritan right. story. So I, I, you know, I'm thinking I can just get my son, get them both in the car, then I can help people. And so you know, what I've typically done is told people, you know, can you know, if you'll be here in 20 minutes, I'll I'll bring you something. So I got my kid, and then I thought, well, we just go to Burger King's. That's the closest thing I can think of. Well, Burger King drive through lines a mile away. So I thought, well, let's just go up to McDonald's, which is two or three miles up. So I, I finally get this meal for this person. And I remember what he looked like. I, I didn't have any misgivings about recognizing him. And by the time we got back, which is about probably 30 minutes after... You know, I told him, you know, I way grossly misestimated the time when I could get my son and get back to this gas station. He was gone. I and mean, I drove around looking for him and, you know, cranked my neck. And uh, I found somebody to give the meal. I mean, this, this, as you know, this gas station is yeah. for people in need. And so, and the person seemed very grateful, but I, I still, it, it gnawed at me because the one guy that I said I would bring the sandwich back to was gone. And I've, I've experienced that others probably have multiple times if you're in a if you're meeting a deadline or you've got a small child back, you've got some strength, 
But I wrestle with that. It's happened many times. I find with me sometimes I don't have cash, so I find if I carry cash, because I mean, could you? Yes, I didn't have any cash. See, that's I the problem. Then you can't. So I've, yeah. I've started to carry cash more so that I can get cash. Because yeah. if you, you probably, they probably have sandwiches in the store. Oh, they did. If I hadn't had my child with me. Yeah. And small bills. Usually you get twenty yeah. out of the ATM. Carrying so, the, yeah. the cash. So on the way on the we I I was probably down this morning. Um, exit ramp for the highway and and the guy's sitting out there in a lawn chair. He's not working the crowd very good. And then his sign was upside down. It said home. <laughs> nope, nope, you're incompetent. I I I'm not, I'm not. so you know, strike me down, so <laughs> Mike, did you? Yeah, it's, and this one is really short, but it, it is it, the connections that you make. I'm following in that trend. Um, a, there's a, a, a friend of mine, and he is a friend, but we know each other really professionally. Um, and uh, about this time last year, he was really searching for a temporary position because he he had been fired from his job because of some some pretty hefty legal and criminal allegations against him. And I tried to help him find some work, and it, it worked a little bit. I went on GoFundMe because I, yesterday I didn't have anywhere, so I go on GoFundMe yeah. to try to find somebody, and there there is his family, and he he has been ordered. So I gave that because he he is. He's been ordered to start serving his eight-year prison sentence uh, last month. And um, you know, now that now that I've reconnected with him that way, um, you know, I feel like I probably should do something else for him. But but there, I don't think it's coincidence that I, I found him on there. Yeah. I, I don't think it's coincidence that Ken's family was, was there yeah. with that news. And you certainly wouldn't have if you weren't looking for a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I would yeah, never have known. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's, I, th I think, the, the larger thing. What we, what we look at as coincidences like this, what this really is, when you start looking at why that's happening and why my story was happening, that's, that's the, the world that Jesus talked about breaking in. Because it's, it's people that are doing this stuff and taking this stuff and attuning to those parts of the world. And when they do that, that stuff starts happening. And so the, 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 the world that Jesus talks about, uh, you know, the, the, the new Jerusalem, that's where it starts. That's what it looks like, is those kinds of, wow, I can't believe that coincidence happened. That's, that's the norm in the perfect world. And that's what we're to be about is bringing that into the world and doing this sorts of th 
sort of thing makes that easier. Which goes to the whole, which I've learned over my lifetime. I was, used to be an introvert, now I'm an extrovert, right? It's, oh my gosh, it's all the things I missed when I was younger because I was not confident or I thought they would judge me or whatever. I didn't go and meet the person. Yeah. And it's not just somebody who might help me. That's what I've learned now. So yeah, be, be open to meeting anybody. And, and it might be nothing might happen or you might have really interesting experiences yeah. afterwards. So. My daughter still is embarrassed by me because when I'm in a line, I just start talking to her. <laughs> <laughs> like, Mom, come on. I said, as you get older, you realize that you never know who you're talking to. It could be an angel. It could be someone in need. It could be... You need to be their angel. Not a nice yeah. person, but they maybe need a, a kind word. Um, and, you know, especially when you're in an area where there's some animosity... Um, our street is probably half original owners in East Nashville and half mostly white pe white wealthy people in the houses and it's like this and I like last night we were walking and, oh, yeah. and one of the ladies came out she lives on Cahal and a little you know and, and she was black and we like said hello to her and she started talking to us and and he was like, we were like, just asking about her and what do you do and da da da. And we just had a great conversation. She's like, thanks for stopping and talking because it's like we kind of feel like we're representatives of of our demographic. Yeah. Everywhere we go, we are a representative, and we are to teach them that yes, we can be trusted. Yes, we don't think we're better than you. We don't think that we're not taking your land. We're not taking your stuff. We want to be with you. We want to be a friend. And I think she was really surprised. And we've done that. And a lot of, because lots of the houses, they're original owners. So yeah. they're not at all like us. But we can we can reach out to them. So I feel like, you know, we, you have to earn the trust of a population sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's not about giving money, but I mean, it's right. a general... Yeah, but it's a, it's the lar it's the larger picture, definitely, definitely. Um, so we've used about half of the class time, so we probably won't get through everything today, but we we very rarely do. Um, there's a there's a saying of Ben Franklin's. Um, said, "Who is rich? He that is content. Who is that? Nobody." <laughs> um, we quoted a verse last week from Deuteronomy, uh, it was Deuteronomy 8, 18. Uh, it says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Last week we were talking about the way that we perceive uh, rich people and the way that we perceive poor people and how usually uh, we find it advantageous to position ourselves uh, as, well, they're not really poor, but we're not that rich, uh, which kind of gives us, makes us feel like we've got the best of both worlds because we don't, it, we end up not having to take the criticisms of the rich seriously, but also we've got, we feel like we have more blessings than people who are poorer than us, and that's that kind of feels good when you feel like when you can position yourself there, but it's also kind of dangerous because it's it's a way to skirt the responsibilities you have. Um, so I want to take a look at the entire chapter 
of Deuteronomy 8 right now because, uh, like I said, that passage is one that we often quote when we talk about being blessed by God. But there's a larger context. I'm going to read this from the message. Um, if you start thinking, oh, oh, I started in 17, I mean, it meant start at 1. Keep and live out the entire commandment that I'm commanding you today so that you'll live and prosper and enter and own the land that God promised to your ancestors. Remember every road that God led you on for those 40 years in the wilderness, pushing you to your limits, testing you so that he would know what you were made of, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He put you through hard times. He made you go hungry. Then he fed you with manna, something neither you nor your parents knew anything about. So you would learn that men and women don't live by bread only. We live by every word that comes out of God's mouth. Your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister those 40 years. You learn deep in your heart that God disciplines you in the same way a father disciplines his child. So it's paramount that you keep the commandments of God, your God. Walk down the roads he shows you and reverently respect him. God is about to bring you into a good land a land with brooks and rivers, springs and lakes, streams out of the hills and through the valleys. It's a land of wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates, of olives, oil and honey. It's land where you'll never go hungry. Always food on the table and a roof over your head. It's a land where you'll get iron out of the rocks and mine copper from the hills. After a meal, satisfied, bless God, your God, for the land he has given you. Make sure you don't forget God, your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules and regulations that I command you today. Make sure that when you eat and are satisfied, build pleasant houses and settle in, see your herds and flocks flourish and more and more money come in, watch your standard of living going up and up. Make sure you don't become so full of yourself and your things that you forget God, your God the God who delivered you from Egyptian slavery, the God who led you through that huge and fearsome wilderness, those desolate, arid badlands crawling with fiery snakes and scorpions, the God who gave you water gushing from hard rock, the God who gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never heard of in order to give you a taste of the hard life to test you so that you would be prepared to live well in the days ahead of you. If you start thinking to yourselves, I did all of this. And all by myself. I'm rich. It's all mine. Well, think again. Remember, and this is the verse that we read that we usually pull from this context. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth so as to confirm the covenant that he promised to your ancestors as it is today. If you forget, forget God, your God, and start taking up with other gods, serving and worshiping them, I'm on record right now is giving you firm warning. That will be the end of you. I mean it. Destruction. You'll go to your doom, the same as the nations God is destroying before you, doomed because you wouldn't obey the voice of God, your God. And so this verse that we tend to use to show that God blesses us, and He is the source of those blessings, while that's true, it's couched in the middle of a warning that, yes, God is the one who does this for you, but don't start thinking because God has done these things that this is yours and that you've done this yourself. Um, 
a writer named Ronald Sider wrote a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, wrote, there are more texts in the Bible that warn of God's punishment of those who neglect or oppress the poor than tell us that material abundance results from obedience. And so maybe we should guard against this tendency we have to find wealthy people automatically suspicious and in the same way guard against considering poor, the poor more noble simply because they are poor. Studying in this class has made me rethink how I see wealthy people. Um, I have, it's interesting, I, I have friends who generally lean politically to the left that view very wealthy people as by definition corrupt, that, that they feel there is no way to make large levels of money without oppressing people on the way up. Um, I have friends that tend to lean more toward the right that uh, take views that the poor often bring it upon themselves. And that's a result of their personality flaws that they have wound up in those circumstances. And I think what we see, um, we see more warnings about how people get rich in the Bible. We see very few warnings about why people are poor in the Bible. Most of the, most of the discussion toward the poor is, more, most of the discussion about the poor is geared to the people that can help them, not to the poor themselves. You know, not, not, this is why you find yourself in this position. Um, we do see that for the rich. Um, and so, so it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a nuanced thing. I, I, I tend to view people significantly richer than me suspiciously, and uh, that's, that's something that I have to, that I have to guard against. Um, in 1 Timothy, uh, well, so anyway, studying for this class has made me rethink how I see wealthy people, and perhaps some of them are entrusted with that level of financial success because they are so generous with it. Um, and they may be God's best way to get that money into places that that money needs to get. Uh, and so I think it's, we, we have to be careful not to look at the exterior and go, okay, they've got money, they must have gotten it corruptly, or they don't have money, they must have done something to deserve that. Um, in 1 Timothy 6, 8 through 10, Paul warns not against wealth itself, but against eagerness for money. He says, for we have brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is, the, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money. And notice the language. It's like some people want to get rich. The love of money. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then later in verses 17 through 19, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The wealth is one of those things that's available to everybody. And like the rain, the just get it and the unjust get it. There are good ways to build wealth. There are bad ways to build wealth. Sometimes people enrich themselves through selfish and oppressive means. Sometimes God gives them financial blessings because they've shown themselves to be generous people. Or, as some people say, good stewards. However, being generous and good stewards does not necessarily mean you will be made rich. And just because someone at church is rich does not mean that they've been blessed because of their goodness and their generosity. So what do you look at? There's a writer named Randy Alcorn who said, um, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And so when, when you're looking at people and trying to figure out, if, if you spend time trying to figure out why they are rich, you look at their, you look at their coattails. Yeah, I, I, I work a lot with musicians, and it, it's been interesting to see some of the, um, the artists that become really big stars. And there are some of them that you can point to people in the industry and go, because, because this person is a big star, he brought this person with him and this person with him and this person with him. You know, it's like this artist worked his merch table. This producer did his soundboard. The, yeah, and, and so you see all of these people that rode that artist's coattail to great success. And then you see other artists that they don't have that. They don't, they don't have the people that came with them. It's, it's been about them, and nobody really has a bigger career other than that immediate tight circle. But then there are others that everybody benefits because they've benefited. You look at the coattails of people, and that tells you, that tells you a lot more than what they've got. So what does it mean to be blessed, to be prosperous, to have abundance. When you, when you think of that in a setting like this, what do you think of? To have more than you need. Okay, to have more what? <laughs> okay. I always heard a saying, it's someone's, someone to love Something to do and something to hope for is, is being in abundance. Okay. Um, so it doesn't really talk about money, but something to do is like a job or something you like to do. Someone to love is your family, a friend, and then something to hope for. You have hope for the future. Yeah. So that, to me, that's what that means. Okay. When, when you hear people at in religious settings, talk about being blessed or being prosperous or having abundance. Do you think of personal wealth as part of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's part of it. I'm not, I'm not saying everything, but but you but you but but it is one of the things that you think of. Health and you know, 
relationships. Yeah. I don't like it when people say they're blessed. It bothers me. Because <laughs> <laughs> that means you're not. Yes. Well, um, I hate it when people say that. I don't even like fortunate. I don't like any of that because, I don't know, I just, it bothers well, me. But I, I don't like that. I remember going to, I remember going to, as long as you warn us first, it's okay. No, no, I, I, I remember going to, a, not a close friend's house, and it was a lovely house. Yeah. And, I, and it was new to them, and they were very proud of it. All of that's legitimate. But the husband said, said, yes, this is the house the Lord has given us. I thought, huh, I'm not really quite sure he would have done this. You know, he might have been happy for you to have lived in a house a bit smaller. I, I just, there was yeah. something to me that said, obnoxious. yes, it was a <laughs> In fairness, I think they were trying to give God appreciation mm -hmm. for the blessings they enjoyed. But it felt to me like they were justifying what clearly could be perceived on the edge of extravagance as God has endorsed this. Yeah, and and, and, and that is and that is such a fine line. Is, is, but is, I mean, that's a question. Then, if someone says, "I've been blessed with such good health," do you have the same negative kind of view of that? Not quite. I don't. I don't. And why? And why? Because it's money is this weird thing, and health is oh, good. Health is always good. Uh, I think, I think it's all. It's all. I think And, 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 and it is tricky because going back to the first one, you know, this is the house that God has given me. It's not like somebody else gave him that house. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, but well, if it, it, it is. It is a fine line.
I didn't say anything to him about who I was. He didn't say anything to me about who he was until after he bought me lunch. And after he bought me lunch, I was like, I should tell you what's been going on in my life that makes this really funny. And then, and only then, did he tell me that he had been at a church that morning. And he didn't tell me what he did at the church. Uh, you know, he didn't tell me who he was, didn't even tell me his name. I just went and I looked him up and I found him. And so you know, nobody, nobody really said anything about Jesus that whole time. But Jesus found his way to make himself known in that. And that's one of, one, one of my points today is that Jesus will find his way of making himself known even if you don't make a big deal about him, but you just go about doing the things that you know you need to do. Yes? I think also, like, there's a way in which when we say, God has blessed me with this, sometimes we're not acknowledging our decision-making in that process. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, God blessed me with uh, capabilities. God blessed me with a good network. God blessed me with all these things that I have. God also, I mean, clearly in Deuteronomy, he's saying to his people, um, I humbled you, I gave you, you know, now I've enriched you, and the purpose is for you to live out the covenant relationship and keep my commands. Some of those commands are to care for the poor, right? To, like, welcome the stranger, to treat people the way I treated you, the hospitality. So it feels like sometimes when people say, God gave me this massive house and all these cars and all the, you know, it's like, uh, like you're not acknowledging the decision you made to use the gifts, the like the resources you have this way. When God has also blessed you with the opportunity to make the decision, what you're going to do with your stuff, and <clears throat> God's called us into a relationship with Him where He gives us that dignity, mm -hmm. and it's also a responsibility we have then to go and serve and give. So um, I think it's great to like. People who have the gift of uh, increasing their wealth, that's wonderful. But use it to serve and give. And so it's just, it is a fine line. Like, it's great for people to say, I didn't do this all myself, to be humble. But also to acknowledge, like, well, what is the purpose of wealth in God's covenant way? The purpose of wealth is to give it and to serve, and to serve the community. It's not to, just to build the wrong. Right, right. And, and without, without saying anything about the first example that you gave, um, with Dell and how she used the house, those are coattails you can see. You know, if she, and if she never says anything about why she's doing it, you can see why she has that house. Well, she's got another, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that, that sounded well, not something that she's more comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your first example, would you have felt differently if they said, God blessed us with this house? Or God gave us this house. And next week, we're going to have a family whose house burned down come live in this part of the house. Would that have made you in feel fairness, different? In fairness, this is a family that's kind yeah. and generous. I'm the, I, I own that I was being judgmental in it. I guess what I'm reacting to is I think there's a danger and kind of justifying when we spend money, when we spend resources. The way we want to spend. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I would be more comfortable 
Yeah, I, I would have been more comfortable with it thinking, you know, this is a lot of house, but we're, you know, we're going to use it like we're God We're going to do the best we can to use yeah. it. Yeah. It seems to me to own the dilemma. Mm -hmm. I feel that dilemma. I've got, yep. you know, you, I made reference to, I've got more bedrooms than we use some for for I mean, for weeks and weeks yep. and weeks. So, why, why, so I'm not, I, I'm sure I'm projecting onto them the angst that I feel about that. Yep. I, I just, I think it is, I think one of the dangers of having more resources than we actually need. I mean, I think that's a real blessing. It's really nice to not to have to worry about finances. But I think the danger is that we kind of think we've done it and we deserve it. And I think the entitlement piece is a pretty, I, I think I am thinking about yeah. that. In, in, entitlement runs deep in communities that look like ours. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. No. Uh, you, you, well, you, it, you sure? It's not entitlement. It's the up by the bootstraps mentality. Yeah. That's pervasive in, in American culture going back yep. generations. Literally going yep. back generations. 100%. My son is in a large medical practice of specialists that get a very good reimbursement rate for their particular specialty. And he... <laughs> He prides himself on being real down to earth. But he is just, he tells the funniest stories about some of the people in his practice. He said, they all think they did it all on their own. He said, they were born on third base and they, they're sure they've hit the home run. And that's just the reality that it's so easy yeah. to be sucked into that mentality. Yep. Yeah, bringing up by the bootstraps, it's like, what about people that don't have boots? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's. Some there's a dark side. There's a dark side to that bootstrap. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's we're, good, but it's not what everybody. Yeah. yeah. We are a little bit over, so I'm going to give you the last. I was just going to mention Leslie Prince, if you've ever heard of her. She works with homeless people here in town. She's been a member here. She's not anymore, but um, to hear her talk about working with them and how they are. To hear her talk about how they minister to her more than she ministers to them because she has all of this mentality hang-ups that we have about, you know, I did it and all that stuff. And how she saw, she sees among them all the time about they have nothing and nobody wants them. They're always trying to get rid of them you know, and want the homeless people camping or whatever it is. But in that, they have community like we have never experienced because when one of them is sick, they take care of, you know, they're out in tents or whatever, but they'll, they'll manage the IV, they'll take care of the, of the people on, on chemo, you know, and make food for them, yeah. and make sure, and just how family struggles that she was having, they would tell her, you need to spend more time, you need to put coming here, and you need to be with your family, you know, and real community. Not, not thinking. Here's somebody that we can get stuff from, but this is part of it. Yeah. And she she had more than they did, but they still recognized that she had needs. They needed to make sure we were met. And that's that kind of back and forth is what I want, and I'm not, not good at that. But that's I love that. What she's talking about. Yeah. We didn't talk about a place to give today um, as. A group. So if you need a place to give today, give to the Nashville Zoo. Good point. <laughs> and you're dismissed.